Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. And I want to jump right into the message today because uh, I am excited to share with you a message on Palm Sunday. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. I want to uh, kind of begin the message just by being completely honest with you. I've been in church my whole life. I've been in ministry what feels like my whole life. My first sermon I ever preached, I was 10 years old. And, and I would say, I say this to say this, not to pat myself, but to say that in, you know, whatever 20-some years of, of being a Christian and being in ministry, today I'm actually going to preach the first message I've ever preached on Palm Sunday. I've never preached the message on Palm Sunday before, well, other than the 9.30. And uh, again, I feel like it's because Palm Sunday just gets lost in the shadow of how amazing Easter is. Uh, but as I was studying it today, there was just some things. I was like, oh, man, where have I been? Because God has got some amazing revelation in this. And so if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, if you don't know what we're talking about, that's okay. This is your kind of church. We're going to break it down, make it real simple, and it's going to bless your life. So we get the term from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. It's on the screen. So if you don't have it, you can go ahead and read along with us. And so Matthew 21, verses 1 through 10. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them, and most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And the others cut branches. Those are palm branches. This is where we get Palm Sunday from. They cut palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, singing, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, now Hosanna means we're saved, we're saved. And so they're singing, we're saved, we're saved, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna again, we're saved in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, listen, this is where I'm gonna kind of hone in on here. The whole city was stirred saying, who is this? I want you to tell the person to your left the title of my message today. Tell them, stir it up. Stir it up. Yeah. Now, once you look to the person to your right and do a little James Harden and tell them, stir it up. Stir it up. Stir it up. Come on, mix it up. Little James Harden, you know what I'm talking about? NBA, okay? Watch sports, all right? Stir it up. Uh, listen, as a preacher, you know, you really have to have clarity on who it is that you're speaking to. Because when you know who it is that you're speaking to, you can, you can kind of tailor your vocabulary and kind of tailor your pronouns and, and all those things. And so, you know, when we finished our Love, Sex, and Marriage series, it was, it, was, it was easy. We had an audience. The audience was those who were single, married, engaged, divorced, so on and so forth. 
And today I'm excited because I believe God's given me supreme clarity on who it is that I'm speaking to today. And today I'm not just speaking to single people. I'm not just speaking to married people. I'm not just speaking to uh, young people or older people. Uh, today I have the privilege, the honor of, of, of uh, this is the person that I know God called me to preach to. I am preaching today to packets of sugar. Now, let me explain. Okay, let me explain. Um, uh, I am not a, a big coffee drinker. Anybody a big coffee drinker? Raise your hand if you're a big coffee drinker. Well, I should say I was not a big coffee drinker. I am now, but I wasn't always. Um, I wasn't always a coffee drinker. I became a big coffee drinker probably around two years ago, about the same time we started the church. <laughs> I'm not sure if there was a connection there. The correlation is positive or negative, but, but I, uh, I, around that time when I started having late nights and early mornings, I said, you know, I'm going to start to have coffee, and, uh, and it's because I'm going to start, you know, I'm, I'm super spiritual, so I started getting up early in the morning praying, you know, and stuff like that, and so I told my wife, and she was like, well, how early are you thinking about getting up, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I'm like 5.30, 6 a.m., she's like, awesome, amen, uh, just want you to know, I will not be making your coffee at 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning, and so I had to figure out how to make my own coffee, and uh, embarrassing as it sounds, I've never made myself a cup of coffee. Uh, because I'm not a coffee drinker, okay? It's not that I'm lazy. I can do laundry. I just didn't make coffee because I didn't drink coffee. Stop judging me, all right? So I didn't know how to make coffee, and so I had to make my own coffee for the first time, and, and so I, I, I said, well, I need a system. I need a system that's simple, and I went online, and I found this thing called a Keurig. Anybody have a Keurig? Am I even saying it the right way? And it's this machine that you just put water in, put a little cup in, you close it, pop, hit a button, and you get coffee. I bought it afterwards. Someone said, you know those are bad for the environment? I'm like, do you want to make me coffee at 6 in the morning? Because... Shh, shut your face. Anyway, so then I make my coffee the way I make my coffee. And so I did it. I put the Keurig and I put the cup and I put the cup in and I have my little journey cup and I made the cup of coffee and it, and it came in. And, and mind you, this is the very first cup of coffee I ever made in my life. And so I'm pretty sure it needs sugar. And so, you know, I, I opened it up and I, and I put it in there and I, and, I, and I let it go and I put it in. But, but, but then I, this is the mistake I made. I, I did a, I just did a swirl. That's all I did. I didn't know. It's my first cup. Just swirled it. I swirled it and I began to drink my coffee. And I thought, oh, I got. <laughs> this is the worst cup of coffee I've ever drank in my entire life. I'm not good at coffee. I woke my wife up. I need coffee. No, I'm kidding. Um, I didn't know. It was terrible, but I, but I was dedicated. I'm a gynecologist. We, we, we have a saying in my house. Vasquez has always finished what they started. I try to teach my boys to never give up. So I'm just like a... Just like a man, just trying my very best to swallow, you know, just it was horrible. Until I get to the end. The whole time I'm drinking it, I'm thinking, what is wrong with this coffee? Why is this coffee not good? This coffee got problems. This coffee didn't come out like I thought this coffee would come out. Until I get to the end and there is a syrupy-like substance. I get to the end and I'm like, ooh, that was, so that's what it was missing. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 uh. It's funny because I, I thought there was something wrong with my coffee. I thought that my coffee had a problem. I thought the, the potential of the Keurig was limited or that I had made a mistake. But what I was mistaking as something missing was really just the sugar had settled. And I wonder if there's anybody here today who is asking the same questions about their life that I was asking about my cup of coffee. Maybe it tastes funny. Uh, maybe you feel like it's missing something. Or maybe nothing's happening right now, and you're starting to wonder, what's wrong with this? This didn't come out. My life didn't come out. It's not turning out. It didn't turn out the way I thought that it would. And now you're beginning to doubt yourself and the choices you made and the potential you have. But what if the problem isn't, what if the question isn't, is it in me? What if the question really is, has it settled? 
has it settled? Because here's what I believe. I believe that God put it in you. And the problem isn't that you don't have it. The problem is that you haven't stirred it up. That's what I believe. We've settled. What if we're not broken? What if we've just settled? What if life looks the way it looks? Not because our life is necessarily wrong, but because we've settled in our life. And let me tell you something about settling in God. First off, God is not a settler. I hope that you know that. He has never settled in his in his, he don't like settling. His best friend, Abraham, was a nomad who his whole life would, would set up a tent, get up, and move. Set up a tent, get up, and move. Never wanting to stay planted, but always wanting to move on, believing that God had more for him and that God had more for him. Why do I mention that? Because I need you to know that God has not settled on the condition of the world that it is in today. He has not settled on the fact that school shootings are going to become normal now. He has not settled on that. He has not settled on the fact that racial inequality is going to be something that we just always live with in America. You might have come to grips with that, but not God. He has not settled on that reality. He has not settled on the, on the, to be okay that there is no cure for AIDS or cure for cancer. He has not settled on that. He has a plan for that. And let me tell you what God's plan for the world was. His plan was to place packets of sugar in every city. Packets of sugar in every high school. Packets of sugar in every subdivision, in every apartment complex, in every office and workplace, in every uh, arena and stadium and sphere of life. Except he didn't call it sugar. He called it salt. He said, we're the salt of the earth. What I'm trying to tell you is that God has placed something inside of you that he needs you to release to make an impact on the world and change what everyone else is experiencing. He's put it in you. There is something great. Listen, I want to tell you what is, I want you to know, I don't care who you are. And I don't care what you've been through. You were created to make a difference in this world. You might think, well, not me. You don't know me. I don't need to know you. But you don't know what's wrong with me. I don't need to know what's wrong with you. Why? Because what's wrong with you isn't what's wrong with you. What's wrong with you is that you fail to see everything that's right with you. And what's right with you is the fact that you are made in the image of God, my brother, my sister. And that means that you got beauty inside of you. You got glory inside of you. You got strength inside of you. You got gifts inside of you. You might feel weak, but God doesn't make weakness. You might feel like a failure, but God doesn't make failure. He knows only how to make one type of painting a masterpiece. And that's what you are. That's what you are. People think, well, I don't have it in me. And no, that's not, that's not it at all. You do have it in you. Oh, why don't I see it? Because you settled. He's got gifts. You, he's got gifts. He's got talents. He's got abilities. You've got mindset. There's things that he's placed in you that the world, if they could see it, if you could unleash it, it would turn it upside down. And so here's what this sermon is. Here's like my message in like a moment, my sermon in a sentence. This message is a spoon. That's all this sermon is. Sermon in the spoon. It's a tool. God has given you the sugar, the gifts, the talents, the ability, the business acumen, the, the counseling skills, you know, the sense of humor, uh, the, the fashion sense, the architectural designing and engineering and all those things, uh, the things that he's given you. He's, he's given them to you. See, I've given you, the, I'm going to give you the spoon today and God has given you the sugar. But listen, we both need a hand. We both need a hand that is willing to take this message I'm about to preach. Take the gifts that God's given us. And someone's got to have the will. Because let me tell you, it's not God's job to stir up your gifts. His job was to deposit them in you. You are the one. He needs you 
to stir up the beautiful things that he's put inside of you. You, why you? How does that, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to explain it, but it's hard to explain. For the whatever craziest reason, here's what I've learned about God. God needs you. Now, if you've studied theology for any moment, you're probably thinking, I've never come back to this church because that guy just said, God needs me and God doesn't need anything. And I get it because God is self-sufficient. No one helped him come into existence, and so he needs no help to exist. But I'm just reading my Bible, y'all. I'm just reading my Bible. And here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 3. And if someone should ask you, tell them this, the Lord, say it with me, the Lord, needs them. God needs you. He needs you. What does that mean? He needs you. I, I, I don't know. It's crazy. To think about what had to happen in order for that donkey and those disciples to meet at the same moment. You know, God didn't give the disciples a address. He didn't say, go to, you know, one, two, three, four, five, you know, Camel Street, and on that street, you're going to find a guy named Bob, and he's going to have a donkey, and that's how you'll know it's the one. He said, walk into the city, and the donkey that you see immediately is the donkey that I have set aside from the beginning of time to be the one to carry me into the city. Do you know how many things had to happen in order for that moment to happen right there? All the little things, so that the moment they step into the city boundary, there came the donkey. That wasn't a coincidence. That was a plan, and let me tell you something. It it's not a coincidence that you are where you are today either. The fact that you are in the workplace that you are in, that you are in the school that you are in, that you are married to the person that you are married to, it is not a coincidence that you are in this church, sitting in this seat, listening to this sermon about the impact that God wants to have in your life, in the world. It's not a coincidence. It's a part of the plan. It's a part of the plan. But why? Why does God need me? Listen, the reason why God needs you is the same reason why God needed Jesus. Why did God need Jesus? Because God needed the gospel to put on skin. Let me say it another way. God is love. He needed love to have flesh. You see, he was talking about love from the beginning of time, but when people saw Jesus's compassion for humanity, when he saw them feeding the hungry, when he saw them loving on the prostitutes and the homeless and the tax collectors and the outcasts, they go, wow, I see God is love. And the reason why God needs you is because there are people in your life who don't trust God. And so they'll never receive God's love because they don't trust God. Because some preachers have been shady and done some things with the church that have created distance between them and God. Because wars have been fought in the name of God. Because bombs, buildings have been blown up in the, names of, in the name of God. And so when we come in the name of God, well, I don't trust that. But you know who they trust? They trust you. And so God needs you because you are the access point for God's love into their heart. You become that. That's why he needs you. He needs you because you have the relationships. He needs you because you have the people. He's got the love. He's got the sugar. But you got to stir it up. They trust you. There's something special inside of you. And don't wait till the end, people. Please don't wait till the end. Listen, it wasn't until the end of my coffee that I realized that the sugar had settled. That what I thought it was missing was there all along. Here is my greatest failure as a pastor. This is the worst way I can fail you. Is if you get to heaven one day. And you start looking at God and you start complaining about all the other things that everyone else had. And how come God didn't give you this? And how come God didn't give you that? And why didn't I have this talent? And why wasn't I a good singer? If you'd only made me a good singer, then I could have made a difference. If you'd only give me a good husband, then I could have made a difference. If you'd only give me kids that weren't crazy, I could have actually spent some time going to church. If you only, if you only, if you only, if you only. And here's my fear that at the end of our life, the Bible says that even the righteous are judged. That at the end of our life, all of us who call ourselves Christian, we're going to stand before God one day, and he's going to take the cup. He's going to say, now that it's over, let me show you just how much was left. I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave anything else in my cup. 
I want to spend every single drop of sugar God has placed out inside of me, and I want to pour it out on the world, and I want to love them. There is amazing things, beautiful things, world-changing things. You give it a name, maybe a business, maybe a person, maybe a ministry, maybe a church, something inside of you, and God is asking you right now, are you willing to stir it up? Because I put it in you. Don't complain that you ain't got it. You got it. Somebody say, I got it. You got it. You just got to stir it up. And I know that even as I'm talking about that, again, people are reflecting on themselves because there are two limitations that are going to come into place when you limit yourself. There are two limitations that are going to come into place when you're trying to stir yourself up, but, but you can't. And there are two things that are going to keep you from wanting to make a ruckus. And the first is what you feel. If you're taking notes, the, my first point is what you feel is going to limit you from creating a stir. What you feel is going to keep you from creating a stir. You know, the Christian tradition recognizes today as Palm Sunday, labeled so, like we said, because on that day you had a bunch of people taking the palm branches and, you know, and singing, and they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. We're saved, we're saved. Now, I love my Bible, but have you ever read something that made you just question, like, that can't be right? Have you ever read that? What, what strikes me here is that what I'm reading doesn't look like a Bible story. What I'm reading looks like a scene from a Disney movie. Because there is spontaneous singing. Strangers who have never met each other at the same time. Hosanna. I'm like, whoa. Boys, what is that? That's what it said. I said they begin to shout and some are cutting off branches. Like I see it just like a Disney movie. Like the branches come up like. Jesus is there like, Hosanna. It's thousands of people. I'm like, who sent the script? Jesus, help me out, because that's a little, little, I got some questions. How a thousand people all broke out in the same song at the same time. And the truth is, there is a backstory. And the backstory is that the song that they were singing in verse 9 in, in Matthew is actually a remix. Remix. It was a remix. It was a remix of Psalms 118, verse 23. It was a song that they used to sing every Passover. So you see, it really wasn't different or special that they were doing it because they would sing that song every Passover. We're saved, we're saved. The difference is why they were singing it. Because when they sung it back then, they were singing it in celebration of the, of the salvation that they got from coming out of Egyptian bondage. That's what they were singing. That's what the Passover was. I got salvation from Egyptian bondage. But now they're singing it, not as a remembrance of salvation from Egyptian bondage, but now they're singing it as a declaration from, from salvation from Roman bondage. Because now they're no longer oppressed by Egypt. Now they're oppressed by Rome. Rome has overtaken Israel. And they've got Roman guards all over there right now. Because it's a parade. Like, you know, like a street parade where you have, like, the police there to make sure everything's going good. I want you to have that same image. That's what's happening right now. There's a big festival, and they got police everywhere. Except it's not police. It's Roman guards with swords and spears. And they're there watching to make sure everything's going on. And the audacity of, of the Jewish people to sing, we're saved in the presence of their captors. Like, can you imagine that? Like, there's a guard right there with a sword. He's like, we're saved. You ain't going to be here much longer. We're saved, Jose. Let me hit the note. Jose, you hit that right now. Let's go. And I thought, man, and here's, here's what God kind of told me when, when it comes to your feelings. I thought, man, how is it possible to sing about salvation when everything around you tells you that you're clearly not saved? And here, here, here's... 
here's what I believe and what's going to help me kind of make my point here about feelings is that salvation is not something you feel, it's something you know. Because I got to be honest, there are some times, can I be real? I got to ask permission, I guess. I mean, I'm going to say it whether you let me or not, but I just want you to know that my, my goal getting up here is never to, to put Christianity on a pedestal that you tried to achieve to. That was Jesus, what he did on the cross. But I just got to be real. So I don't know do. There's sometimes when I don't feel saved. Like there's some thoughts that come in my mind sometimes that I'm like, a saved person wouldn't think these thoughts. <laughs> I mean, there's sometimes I say things to my wife or I, I lose my temper with my kids and I think, a saved person would not do these things. And, and I mean, am I the only one? You are not helping me out at all. Man, I wish, I'll tell you what, I wish the Apostle Paul was here because he'd be helping me preach way better than you. The Apostle Paul would be in the back saying, amen. He'd be back there saying, boom. He'd be back there saying, that's fantastic. He'd be back there shouting me down. You know why? Because he'd say, amen. Matter of fact, in Romans, this is what he'd say. He said, everything I want to do, I can't do. And everything I don't want to do, I keep on doing. He'd be shouting me down, helping me out, because he knows what it's like. Like he wrote in Romans, I, I, I feel like a sinner, but I know that I'm saved. I feel like a sinner, but I know that I'm saved. I feel like, but I know. I feel like, but I know. You have to understand that there will always be a battle between what you feel and what you know. There will always be a battle between your feelings and your faith. And they will each stand at different elevations of the mountain that you are trying to climb. Now, the mountain is whatever your mountain is. It might be a business that you're trying to start. It might be a marriage that you're trying to heal. It might be a potential that you're trying to unlock. Whatever your marriage is, you need to under, whatever your mountain is, you need to understand that your feelings will always kneel at the bottom of the mountain, stare up at that crazy tall climb, and think, wow, that's going to be a lot of work. And you probably shouldn't do it, and you're going to fail anyway. And there's already 10 people up there anyway, so are you really even doing this? Is it really even worth it? Just look at that guy. He made up there way quicker than you made. Just give up. Just put on Netflix and chill. Just sleep. Just rest. Just it's not going to happen. Aren't you tired? I'm tired. That's what your feelings, that's what your feelings will always tell you. But your faith, oh, my God, your faith is so st- stupid. Your faith is so dumb. Your faith is so ridiculous. Your faith actually stands on top of the mountain that you have yet to climb saying, hey, buddy, we're already here. Just keep climbing. We already made it in Jesus' name. Just come on and make it. Just come on and get it. Your feelings and your faith will always argue and your feelings will try and keep you where you are and try and get you to settle and your faith will always try to kick you out of where you are and get you onto the next thing. And let me tell you what determines whose voice you listen to. Whichever voice you give more space to. Whichever voice you give more time. Whichever voice you give the mic longer to will determine whether you stay where you are or you move on to what God has for you. Whether you settle or you stir. It'll be who you listen to the most. Your, your feelings or your faith. The, the other day I was in the, the restroom. What we call it. When you're preaching. And I was, in the, I was in the guest restroom, which is an important detail. I'm not just trying to share with you toiletry stories for no reason. I just, and it's an important detail because it shared a wall with my children's bedroom. And I was in there, you know, doing restroom things. And I begin to hear in the next room a fight on the verge of breaking out that I am unable to intervene in. 
because restroom. So I hear, I hear, I hear, uh, I hear Zane start to get emotional. He goes, he said, I just hear him. He goes, stop it, Justice. Stop it right now. And whatever it was Justice was doing, he did not stop. I hear Zane again, stop it, Justice. Stop it right now. And then, and then he didn't stop. And then one more time, stop it, Justice. Stop it right now. And then all I heard was, boom. So I heard. So I heard. And then, and then, and then, a, and then a cry, a crazy cry. Ah! I'm unable to intervene at the, at the moment. But my wife runs up the stairs. What happened? What happened? What happened? And she sees Justice on the floor crying, Zane over him, looking like you know, like Ryu from Street Fighter at the end of a, <laughs> the end of a fight, just you know, just like. And he said, she says, he says. He says, Zane pulled my hair and threw me down. <laughs> like a WWE wrestler, but I love my son. He, he, said, he said he threw him. Maybe I don't love the fact that he did that, but I, anyway. So God's still working in me, too, as a parent. Um, so, so he crying, crying, just crying. Just, he threw me down. He pulled my hair. And then my wife is like, Zane, how dare you pull your hair? You pull his hair? And then Zane is like, yeah, I pull his hair. And I'm over there in the restroom, unable to intervene. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, that's not the whole story. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. That's not the whole story. And so I finish. And I, and I, and I run up into that, and I, and I broke down that wall like God, just coming into the scene like, boom, I know things. Like, you know, like, like I just, I know things. Like, like, like God on the rapture. Like, you thought I wasn't there, but I was there. I saw it all. I saw it all. You know, I just... I went in there and I just, and I said, no, 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 that's not how it happened. And I began to tell, I tell my wife, I said, he told him to stop three times, but he didn't want to stop three times. And now my wife, this is my wife, my, my wife is now in a situation because she's walked into a situation where what she sees is, is telling her one thing, but what I know is telling her another. And she has to make a decision because right now her feelings are for her older son who's on the ground crying because that's what she can see because your feelings are always connected to what you see. Your feelings are always connected to what you sense. Your feelings are always connected to your situation and what's happening. But you got to take what you see and what you sense and what you feel, and you got to line it up against what the Father knows. And if it lines up with what the Father knows, it's yes and amen. But if it goes contrary to what the Father knows, you got to let your faith put your feelings in check. I said, I, said, I know what happened. And, and by the way, she didn't know it. I knew it. That's why faith doesn't come from what you believe, that's what the Bible says. Faith says it comes from hearing the word of God. Because faith is not knowing what you know. Faith is believing to know what God knows about you. So you might feel like a loser, but the Bible says that you are more than a conqueror. You don't know it, but he knows it, so I'm going to know what he knows. You might feel like nobody sees you, but he says this about you, that you are the head and not the tail. You might feel like an addict or, or stuck in a rut. And here's what he says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. You might not feel free, but you got to know that you're free because he said that you're free. He said it. He said it. He said it. He said it. And so I got to put myself in the position of the disciples, man. Those two disciples facing their feelings and their faith. Their feelings and their faith. Because God asked them, Jesus asked them to go take a donkey. 
And one of the best ways to study your Bible, by the way, and here's, here's just a tip for, for studying, is that oftentimes you've got to put yourself in the position of the person who's in the Bible, and then when you kind of like, what would I felt if I was there? And then you kind of get the revelation when you're in that. And so I'm there, and I'm like, and I'm, and I'm like if I'm those two disciples, and Jesus is like, hey, guys, you're going to go into this city, and uh, you're going to see a donkey. Take it. How, how gangster, how savage, how, how ridiculous is that? Like, the whole, your whole three years with him, he's been teaching you to be a good person, to do nice things to people, and a week before he dies, he's like, take it. <laughs> if I'm that disciple, I'm looking at the guy, I'm my other disciple, and I'm like, don't move it to test. It's a test, bro. It's a test. Watch. The moment we make a step in that direction, says, depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness, for I never knew you. you know, it's going it's to just be like that on me. It's going to call me out. The moment I make that, nah, I ain't taking nothing. That's called stealing, Jesus. Down on earth, that's called stealing. I don't know about in heaven, but on earth, that's, that's a crime. So, nah, you know. But they didn't know I got you. See, that's a whole other backstory in of itself. I used to think it was a miracle. I started doing studies on, the, on this donkey because I'm like, man, this, this donkey is like, it's, it's, it's possessing my mind. I was like, I got to study. I got to learn. Possess is probably not the right word. But I had to figure it out. And so, and so I, I, I researched and I found out because there are two scholarly uh, explanations for what happened. And I'm fine with both, honestly, but I actually like the not supernatural version better. There's a supernatural explanation of what happened and then there's a... Uh, natural explanation of what happened. The supernatural explanation is that, is, that, is that God just poofed the donkey, which I'm like, I got no problem with that. Like he came back to life in three days, created the earth like that. So a donkey's like nothing for him. Like he blinks and there's a donkey. I mean, it's just, I don't mind that. Actually, I like that. Makes God look cool. I like it. But the other explanation, the natural one, blew my mind. See, back in the day, there was, uh, and even today, there was a custom where if you couldn't make it into a city, but you wanted something prepared before you got there, you would send a messenger on ahead with some money. And they would purchase it in advance. It's similar to the upper room. When Jesus said, hey, there's going to be an upper room waiting for you. Just go tell the manager. It's my, it, it, the, the, the natural explanation is that some scholars have is that the room was prepaid. And that the donkey was prepaid. And so when they went there, it was really, Jesus had already sent the payment on ahead. And so it was kind of like when you rent, rent, rent reserve a car. You know, you get there and you're like, oh, okay, did you, I have reserved the Prius. And, and so when he was saying the Lord needs them, it was actually the password. It was actually the code that was assembled before, before the interaction so that they know the Lord needs them. Oh, you're the guy that prepaid for the donkey. Gotcha. And then, and then Jesus said, and he will let them go. Here's why I like that explanation more. Because oftentimes when we pursue, see, oftentimes when we pursue the crazy dreams that God gives us, oftentimes when we pursue the, the ambitions and, the, the, and we begin to stir and we begin to unlock, there becomes a moment of insecurity because we're like, oh man, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if this is, this is mine. And, 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 I think, and I think a part of the reason it came is because the disciples thought that they were taking something that was not theirs. But the truth is that Jesus had paid for what they thought they were taking. You see, you got to understand what happened on Calvary when Christ stood on the cross? That was not just 
the sins of the world being forgiven. That was the checkout line. That was a transaction where every person who was held ransom by sin and the devil in a moment became free and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's why that's important, because as a preacher, I say a lot of times, you need to take your city, you need to take your school, you need to take your family in Jesus' name. But you know what I'm understanding that the theological reality of that is? It might look like taking, but it's not taking, because he bought it already. It's already yours. And so you need to walk up in there with some confidence. You need to walk into your business with confidence. You need to walk into your marriage with confidence. You need to talk about your kids that don't serve the Lord with confidence. Like Jesus already bought their salvation. Like Jesus already bought their future. Like Jesus already bought it. You got to own it. Now, don't you dare walk up into a grocery store and be like, Hosanna, Hosanna. He bought it. It's not what I said. Stop misquoting me. And what I said, what I said was the thing that you're fighting for in prayer has already been given to you. It was already bought on Calvary 2,000 years ago. So receive it with your confidence. That's just point one. I mean, we could just close it up right there. That's just my first point. I hit the second limitation really quickly. The first is what you feel. The second is what they call you. What they call you. You know, there were two types of people who were there on Palm Sunday. The Bible says that they all said, who is this? Right? But what the Bible doesn't give us is enough context to determine the tone of their who is this. Because I got to imagine there were two types of people. There were those who were like, who is this? And there were probably those who were like, who is this guy causing a traffic jam? I am trying to get to the stable and I can't. I'm going to be late for work. What is happening? (laughs) Why? Because there are people who are desperate in life and people who are comfortable in life. And you got to understand that when you begin to stir things up in your life, there are going to be people who are going to be mad at you, who are going to be upset at you because you're creating a stir. You're ruining their status quo. You're messing with their comfort. Not only that, but watching you pursue your dreams makes them feel guilty for never chasing their dreams. And so they're going to project their insecurity onto you because you have the boldness to do what God calls you to do. And so so when you decide to stir your cup, you just got to know you're also stirring the relationships around you. Nobody minds hanging out with a failure. That makes them feel better about themselves. It's, it's when you start to taste success that your friends start abandoning you. They're going to label you, y'all. They're going to label you things. And, and, and they did that here. Look, look, what they, look what they called this donkey. Matthew 21.5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast. Now, I know that sounds like nothing, a priest of burden, whatever, but there's actually a really important distinction there because um, I actually just became a puppy grandpa. My dog had dogs. Thank you. Um, and I'm learning a little bit about dog breeding, and you can actually breed dogs in a certain way to get certain attributes. In, in, in ancient times, there were two types of donkeys that were bred. One was bred for kings. The other bred, bred, uh, bred for burdens. One was bred to be fast and beautiful on the outside. It was swift, and he was very handsome. And this was called a mule or a royal donkey. They only did one thing, carry kings into cities. This is not the donkey that Jesus is riding. We know that because of two reasons. One, it says he will ride humbly, but two, because it doesn't use the word mule. It uses the words beast of burden, which is a signal for those who are studying that this is the second type of donkey. 
not the one who was bred to carry kings, but the one who was bred to carry burdens. He wasn't bred to be fast, he was bred to be strong. Which is, by the way, you're upset that you're not where you are yet, but God didn't build you to get there yet. He builds you to be strong and to last and to endure, not for speed. Just want you to know that. God doesn't build us for speed, he builds us for endurance. He builds us to be strong. That's a separate message, but you need to hear it, because some people are upset about they're not where they thought they'd be by now at this stage in their life, and they're thinking that they were bred to be royal donkeys, but they're really bred to be carrying burdens. <clears throat> so that's for somebody. Um, and so, so he gets on this donkey. He gets on this donkey. And I just think the irony of it, that the one donkey who, because you know what, every label comes a limit. So they say, if you're a breast of burden, you can't carry a key. You know, has anybody ever tried to limit you with a label? You're young, Shh, can't do this. You're retired, can't do this. What does that mean? What is even retired? I don't know what that is. People ask me, why don't you retire from ministry? I'm like, you mean like, stop telling people about Jesus? I, I don't know. Heaven, I guess they all know then. I don't know. Divorced, limits. Limits, you can't, you can't do it again, you got divorced. That's a limit, label. Abortion, limit. Black, limit. Uh, undocumented, limit. For the label, but the reason why the label in you is to limit you. So you don't get up into their sphere. And the irony <laughs> that the donkey that had the label that said, you will never carry a king, ends up carrying the king of kings. Which tells me, not only that, but the prophecy said it had to be a beast. A beast of burden. It had to be. Which tells me that God doesn't just choose us in spite of our flaws, but because of them. He doesn't look over us because we're a beast. He was looking for a beast. He was looking. He didn't choose you even though you're divorced. I believe he chose you because you're divorced. You're going to be able to share your story with other women who have gone through that and help them walk through it. Because of your flaws. He didn't, he's not going to choose you in spite of your criminal history. I believe he's going to choose you because of your criminal history. Because only an ex-con can talk to another ex-con about the things that God can do in their life. Man, I had another title for this message. But thank God for your other pastor, Liz. She convinced me that it would offend people and that I shouldn't use it. I shouldn't say it. But I'm starting to second guess that wisdom right now. Because I had to whip out the King James Version of this passage. You gotta whip out the King James every once in a while. It just sounds more spiritual. It's smart. If you wanna sound smart, quote the King James. Thus thou if, if, if. This guy really knows his Bible. Because <laughs> sometimes I go into the message or the New Living Translation to make things more relevant for you, but actually I had to go back to the King James to make this more relevant for you. I said that what would limit you is what they call you and the label that they put on you. Do you know what a beast of burden was called in the King James Version? Oh, you should look it up. I'm just going to tell you, and it's in the Bible, so don't judge me. It said, and your king will come riding on an ass. And I thought, maybe I should go back to make it more relevant because that's what they'll call you when you start chasing your dreams. They'll look at you like, look at him. Ain't got no college degree. Ain't got nothing just chasing his dream. He, he's a... But that was from their perspective. I wonder what Jesus was thinking when he was writing. And so the title of my message was going to be 
need somebody who's going to help me out because they're going to judge me. I need somebody who's going to help me out when I tell you. The title of my message, I know you love me. For, the title of my message is going to be, Stop Hating My Ass. called Woo. Hey, hey. and the rest of the world was looking at that beast thinking ew look at Jesus riding on the beast oh my god a beast of burden but Jesus was like no nah, I'm not going to say it anymore because but my donkey look at he was riding like I love my donkey you like my donkey don't you don't hate on my donkey my donkey is special my donkey is called my donkey got gifts my donkey got abilities my donkey's got prayer my donkey's got a word my donkey's got prophecy my donkey's been destined my donkey's got a mission my donkey's got a ministry my donkey's got the spirit of God living inside of me you would stop looking at yourself the way the world looks at you. And you start looking at yourself the way Jesus looks at you. Beautiful, wonderful, chosen, masterful, called, unique. Stand on your feet as we close, as we close. Don't hate. I might not look like nothing in your eyes, but I got the king of kings riding on my back. And I'm going to carry him in every city that I go, in every office space that I find myself in, in every church, in every, in every high school, in every, in every sphere of influence. I'm going to carry the king. I don't care what you label me. I don't care how I feel. Stop hating. Because I got Jesus. And I pull my word from him. What he says about me. He's looking at me smiling. He's looking at me proud. I'm the product of a, of, a, of a prophecy. I'm a destiny fulfilled. That's you, y'all. You are the product of a prophecy. You are a destiny predetermined. You are here because God placed you here for this moment, this season. And seven days from now, a lot of you got, got and I hope this minister, I hope this minister to you in however way you needed it. But let me just, let me, let me transition here. Seven days from now, you've got, you know, uh, Easter invites in the back and all that. And I don't want you to see that as a piece of paper. I want you to see that as a packet of sugar. Because you never know. You never know what that, But what will they say about me? Stir it up. But I feel unqualified. Stir it up. Because I believe that God wants to stir up this city and change the label on Orlando. I don't want us to be known as the city where the greatest mass murder happened in the United States. I want us to be known as the city where the next great awakening, where the next great revival in this century was founded right here. And I don't even care if it happens through this church. I just want to be a part of it. I just want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of life change. But it's not going to happen if the church doesn't stir up some things we gotta get rid of, the, of their fears of what they're gonna label us and think about us and call us and so what weird maybe the world needs weird so what crazy maybe the world needs some good crazy instead of the crazy crazy we see on the news every day I believe God wants to change this city I want to change this city but me and God we need a hand the spirit of God is already on earth and this church is already here but that means nothing if we're not willing to stir it up. Are you ready to stir it up this week at work, at home, in school, in our families? Let's stir it up. God's going to do something. Hey, and by the way, that crowd that seemed kind of funny, that they popped out of nowhere, 
they didn't pop out of nowhere. Palm Sunday was on Sunday, but the day before Palm Sunday, you know what they call that? Lazarus Saturday. Because the day before Palm Sunday, Lazarus had come back from the dead. And the crowd that was celebrating was actually half of it from Bethany that had followed him from when Lazarus was resurrected. Why do I bring that up? Because there are people here who think, this is awesome, but I'm not a Christian. And because I'm not a Christian, I can't participate. But, 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 but you have the greatest potential because when people know that you were dead, that you were dead and that you came back to life crowds will follow people will come I want what he got I remember how he used to live and I look at him now and I remember him then and I look at him now and I remember him then if he can do that in his life if he can do it in Lazarus he can do it in me I'm speaking to all the dead dreams and dead potential and dead ambition and dead hope in this place something's died on the inside of you don't wait to Resurrection Sunday to come back to life. It can happen right here, right now. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com, where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.